Welcome to Hard Talks with Chris and Friends, where topics that are hard or will make you hard are talked about, where things get real and unfiltered. Here is your host, Christopher Velasquez. Hello, you guys. Welcome back. Today, I will be talking about a topic that has shocked the state. No, actually, the world. This podcast episode won't be like the others. Um, the format's going to be a little bit different. But, you know, I thought today's conversation was important to have. Like I said, in this podcast, um, we will have those conversations that are hard to have. And when it feels like the world is stopping and having a conversation, I will stop too and have the conversation with you guys and have a friend come on and help me have this conversation. I'm Hispanic and I'm so proud of being Hispanic. I'm gay and I love my gay culture. I'm part of a lot of different cultures and communities. Um, But there's for sure one that I have a big connection to. Um, And it's not just because of my sexual or my romantic connections to it, but I think in a big part it's because I have a lot of friendships that have turned into family, that have turned into mentorships, that have turned into a lot more things. The You know, in the black community, which is the community I'm talking about, is going through a lot right now. And... I wanted to take a minute and and bring a friend of mine's to have that conversation with me today. Someone that is incredibly smart, does amazing things for the community, and I've every time we've talked and every time we we was called we get together, it's always a good kiki. But before I introduce him, I should say before we start talking about all of this, you know, him and me will just be discussing this as our points of view. As people of color, we will be talking about personal experiences and how we see the world. Um, We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to say anything that that might hurt anybody. This is just how we see the world. And this is just a discussion of what's happening in the world right now. So with that said, let me start and let me introduce you guys to Brighton. Brighton, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So let, let me start with how's your quarantine going, you know, besides the topic we're going to talk about today, but how's your quarantine? How have, how has it been just being home all the time? Um, so my quarantine is going you know, pretty, pretty good. Uh, when it all first started, I think I was like many people, I was doing a lot better. I had some momentum. I had some energy behind my desire to self-quarantine. If anything else, you know, a lot of things were fear-driven. So, you know, the fear back then was real strong. And so I was just motivated to stay inside. Um, You know, we're a couple months into it now. California started opening up. Uh, Businesses are open. Things are happening. Uh, And I'm definitely starting to feel the fatigue of quarantine. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think we are all starting to to feel that fatigue with quarantine and how long is quarantine taken. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. So uh, my name is Brighton. Um, I am a. <laughs> I don't know how to comment on it. You know, what? I'll say it like this: I am presently <laughs> a prevention <laughs> training. There's some things happening at work where some things are shifting, uh, but presently I'm a, pre- I'm a prevention training specialist. Uh, so I do a lot of work with HIV and STI education, prevention, testing. Uh, I am also a full brother of Onyx Southwest. Whoop, whoop. Um, oh my God, what else? I am a, I am a pup. I am black. I am very gay. And I feel like I'm listing my credentials. What else? I know it's always hard to talk about yourself. Um, I, that's why I hate doing it. And that's why I had um, Brittany on my first podcast because it's just so hard to just tell people, hey, this is this is about me. And let me put it in the least words I can. But yeah, let's talk about what's happening in the world right now. Um, today's topic is Black Lives Matter. I want to start with some a word association and just kind of see what feelings or or what thoughts do these words make you feel or or what thoughts come to mind. Now, the reason I'm doing it this way is because as someone that, you know, does come from special day classes and and has an IEP, I think a lot of the times the way I learned stuff was relating stuff to certain words. So instead of learning maybe the whole book, I would learn, I would read the whole book and then I would associate certain feelings or certain um thoughts to a couple words and that would make it easier for me to keep the information for longer so i know that there's people out there that that's kind of how they learn stuff and or just keep information so i think that's that's how i kind of want to start this or that's why i wanted to start this like that so here are the words the word will be george floyd Black Lives Matter, systemic racism, and things need to change. What what feelings or what thoughts come to your head when I say those words? Um, well, you know, a couple of things uh, come to mind. But of course, you know, they also come to mind for me within the context of, uh, you know, the podcast right now, within the context of... Black Lives Matter movement. Um, And essentially, you know, you kind of began with how people learn, how these messages are being delivered. And a lot of that is through a really consistent and strong repetition of, like you said, the same kind of ideas and the same messages. And that has been incredibly powerful. Um, So for example, on Twitter, all on social media and Instagram, the thing that was trending was justice for George Floyd, justice for Breonna Taylor, you know, justice for Ahmaud Aubrey. These were things that had to be said over and over and over again. We had to, 
again, hashtag Black Lives Matter, and eventually, you know, the LGBTQ community amongst Black people, or with Black people rather, we had to start saying all Black Lives Matter to then tackle the message of justice for any of the trans lives that have been lost. Um, so we've had to keep a consistent message with that. And that's really what Black Lives Matter is to me. That's what comes to mind. Black Lives Matter. We need to dismantle systemic racism. And they're very simple, like they sound like regurgitations because they largely are. These are not just my feelings, but these are things that just have to be said over and over again for a consistent message. The yeah, fuck I mean, police abolish the police. Like there can't at this point there's really almost no room for too much deviation from that, you know, from that message, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I and I strongly agree with you. I think I chose those words because those words encapsulate the feelings and the thoughts of everybody who is trying to fight for more equality and more justice. And funny enough, I think um, this quarantine and us being kind of stuck at home has been a big thing that has moved this forward. I think, at least in my personal experience, um, it's been easier. This is not the first time something like this happens. Um, I think it's happened too with, you know, the school shootings where we think after something like that happens and as a state or as a country where we're shocked we think that things are going to change and then we realize that it's easier to get busy with our everyday lives and and i do that you know i get busy with my everyday life with work with everything going on that it's easier to just kind of ignore it and push push it in the back burner or just nothing changes. I think for the first time, because we are in quarantine and we are stuck at home, there was a level of we have to deal with this and we have to change stuff because we can't just ignore it. Like we have ignored it so many times before. And I think, you know, I know that the black community has always had to deal with this, but it's been easier for other communities to not put a focus on it or not really pay attention because it's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't, when it doesn't affect you or you think it doesn't affect you because, you know, racism affects all of us. But when you, you know, when it doesn't affect you directly, it's easier to just push it in the back burner, like I said, and let it be something that will, you know, someone else will fix this or someone else will solve this. And for the first time, it's, like I said, in front of all of our faces and we can't hide from it and we can't put it in the back burner. And mind you, because of quarantine and because of Corona and everything that's happening, I feel like a lot of things have come up to light too, you know, as people of color, we are resourceful. Um, we find those places where we could express our communities, where we could express our art, where we could express ourselves, which, you know, people that are more privileged, like white people, they could go anywhere and express themselves and, and they feel at home anywhere. But there's, you know, there's less places where people of color can express themselves. There's less places where people of color can go dancing, can go express their art it's just and all of that is coming up to light and 
and it's hard. And a lot of people are having a hard time having these conversations and having these conversations thrown at them. Um, a lot of people in privilege are not used to having these conversations and don't want to have these conversations because it makes them uncomfortable. Ooh, almost lost my train of thought. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say that, you know, if you feel, if anybody feels kind of like, you know, these messages are being beaten over their heads, like it's just so constant and just unending if that is how you feel not only is that kind of like okay but that's the point you know at this point i folks are using social media and these different platforms when nobody has anything other to do than be on social media people are using it at this point to literally beat folks over the head and that is the point like you because of quarantine yeah folks absolutely cannot run from it or at least you know that's the feeling but the reality is you know non-black people can still turn off their phones they can go watch shows on netflix for a couple hours <laughs> they can yeah. they can disassociate for a period meanwhile you know black people cannot even if we turn off you know our phones and decide to not pay attention well now we've become complicit and perhaps not witnessing somebody getting killed on Facebook Live because now that shit's happening, right? Now people are actually using like their social media to keep themselves alive if they're going someplace. So, you know, mm -hmm. social media and phones and technology have become tools to fight off, you know, these systems of oppression. Just, I mean, just as much as they're used as tools to oppress us. I'm speaking more about how we're using them to fight back at this point. And you're definitely witnessing the fruits and the concerted effort of all that. These messages need to be constantly out there in order to tear and just tear down and dismantle the things that are oppressing us. Um, like for example, I don't think if this was going on, I would be able to have conversations about abolishing the police, right? Like at this point in time, so many videos and so many people are just feeling more liberated to come out against the police. Um, I mean, that's always been a conversation. That's always been something somebody was talking about somewhere, right? But now, because of how consistently we're talking about it and how intense the pressure is, those things yeah. are actually starting to and be a possibility. There's power in, and I mean, it's, it's a shame that somebody has to die in order to create that shock value but to be clear too, I, I feel like the people, the, the only people who are ever shocked into action are folks who, have, who haven't been desensitized to it, right? So school shootings are so jarring when they happen that, because I mean, they happen a ridiculous amount in this country and it's a, it's a shame, it's shameful when it happens you're absolutely right it sparks a brand new conversation that has been happening but for whatever reason died off for a period and then it sparks another one to begin i think what's happened with like george floyd's killing for example was not only did it it spark some outrage but then again that video and again i have a whole issues with black bodies being you know used to sensationalize a lot of these issues like that i yeah, you're really just 
anyways, look, I'll go into that some other time. But <laughs> point being is, you know, the circulation of that video, the circulation of footage of black people dying and getting beaten and just the circulation of images of the police being thugs, that has power. And the fact that it's been able to consistently be in everyone's feeds is what I think is helping keep that momentum going. Um, even now, you know, like, I've been seeing on Instagram and Twitter people keeping that justice for Breonna Taylor hashtag going. And now the conversation has evolved just a little bit. Now it's like, uh, yeah, thank you so much for, you know, your activities during the height of the protests, but demand justice for Breonna Taylor. Or, uh, you know, thank you so much for liking my nude, but demand justice for Breonna Taylor. Go harder for Breonna Taylor. Like, there's there's some sort of movement like somebody behind the scenes is just super fucking clever and i have no idea who it is but it's like yeah that's exactly how you need to be doing this honestly yeah i echo everything you're saying we need to make sure that the momentum keeps going and even weeks after all of this is like done and it's not the top story anymore we need to continue moving forward and not lose and not lose what the thought of what we're you know what we're working for we need to make sure our voices are keep being heard and we need to make sure that we continue posting and just you know being vocal like we are we, we can't lose all this momentum we've been getting we need to educate ourselves um i'm listening to, i'm listening to this podcast um it's on the history of the police and damn if the history of the police is not dark um and where you know where it comes from um it's just uh like i can't i can't even start saying how dark it is and and you kind of realize like how racism is like part of the fabric of what the police departments are and uh, it's so dark but you guys should for sure listen to the podcast it's called um behind the police um they, they, you know, they, they talk about the really dark stuff and, and it's a short podcast. I think it's going to be like, it's only was like six episodes or something like that. You know, listening to the podcast, you kind of see how the police was and, and started off of defending the slave owners after the abolishment of slavery and how they were only really defending them because they thought that they were going to attack them after slavery was abolished but even if you go a little bit more back like they were just thugs that people hired for defending their businesses so it kind of like very feels like oh this is what they still are like you know they, they're still protecting the white man they're still you know oppressing people of color you know and and they're just they basically work for the people who have money you know, they don't work for all of us. So, yeah, it's a great listen. You guys should listen to it for sure. I'm about to give a plug in your podcast to a video because it was so good. Um, it is, No, the Police Cannot Be Reformed with Professor Alex Vitale. I think that's how you say it. It's V-I-T-A-L-E. It's on For Harriet, uh, her YouTube channel. And it is such an enlightening conversation because, you know, the professor not only goes into what the, excuse me, the history of the police uh, is, like what that history looks like, 
but he connects it to you know the systems of capitalism and how really the police were designed to help maintain not just the status quo but to keep rich people in power too right so it's just and then of course he talks about you know the different ways that people have tried in the past to reform the police and why that just does not work you know essentially the police are workers of violence they deal in violence you can't just turn that into a social worker you can't just turn that into a grief counselor or a Mm -hmm. like that doesn't work yeah i don't know why we keep trying to make it work when we see over and over again that it doesn't work um but since we're on the topic of systemic racism why don't we talk about racism within the gay community you know um I'm going to plug this documentary again because I think it's really good. It's called Disclosure. I like it so much because they cover a lot of um, issues within society and within the LGBT community in general. And one of those being how we neglect our trans women of color and how they were like the first ones to throw the rock at Stonewall were, you know, the pioneers of us trying to get our civil rights. But then right after all of that and we started organizing we kind of pushed them to the back and we kind of ignored them and we kind of um made their needs less important because they could just wait and i think that's something that that until right now we're barely talking about and i think that's a you know something that you're you brought up so i mean there is a history amongst you know minority groups uh with co-opting and you know white and this is how systemic racism again works and just you know seeds everything everything you know pride started as a protest against police brutality a riot by two trans women of color but you know it became a party for majority white queens to enjoy now, am I saying pride as it exists is just, you know, awful? I'm not going to take that. Personally, I'm not going to take that leap, right? Like, I think what World Pride, for example, managed to do and managed to accomplish was incredible. I think the the social capital, all that stuff, you know, is impressive. There is a whole gay rights movement that has managed to jump onto you know, the forefronts, it has actual economic weight now. And that's incredible. To me, that is something that could benefit everybody. But the only way that that kind of stuff helps everybody is if, again, we dismantle institutions of systemic racism that put the people who started it at the back of the, at the, back of the bus. So we're talking about trans Black women and trans Latino women. They should have been at the forefront the whole time, reaping the benefits of this gay rights movement. And but for whatever reason, they're only just now getting a piece of the pie. That's absolutely messed up. Uh, Just as well, I'm trying to educate myself personally on the difference between equality and like equity, and you know how that can show up in different areas. And this is definitely a matter of kind of equity. I think Uh, at this point white gays benefit from any you know progressive movement for the lgbtq community like that's and that's really how this works you know like white gays have privileges that means that anything that happens with gay people just inherently benefits them 
that does not necessarily trickle down all the way as you start to add different, you know, uh, intersections of people's identities. So you have your white gays who benefit from everything. Well, the white cis gays, your cis men, they benefit from just about everything. That may not hold true for a cis lesbian white woman. That then may not be hold true exactly for a cisgendered uh, gay black man. You know, again, you add, keep adding intersections and it just kind of trickles down. What we're talking about is then going all the way to the bottom, the people who have in, benefited the least. And again, that's our trans people of color and pulling them up first. Now, that's probably an oversimplification of what needs to happen. <laughs> and there is so much more conversation around capitalism and how corporations have infiltrated pride movements, how that is watered down the message. All that is important and needs to be talked about. And it really just kind of reinforces what I was talking about earlier with what's different about the Black Lives Movement right now. People are not allowing folks, white people or corporations, we're not allowing folks to co-opt this message. Mm -hmm. It is going to benefit black people. And this is also why the LGBT, or excuse me, the black LGBT, the black and Latina, the people of color LGBTQ community, that's why we need to be saying all lives matter. Because at this point, <laughs> we're like, we're not going to let ourselves be forgotten by the broader Black Lives Matter movement. No. There's so many different things happening. Yeah, and it's a whirlwind of, of emotions and things that are happening. But talking about pride, you know, to me, it's, you know, pride and, you know, pride celebration and pride month have always been two different things. You know, um, for me, pride month is a month where you take the time to learn your gay history, which is, you know, from, you know, how did it look to be gay in the Greek time and how, how was it, you know, before AIDS, what, you know, what, what was the norms of gay people and how, how the, the world at large saw gay people, you know, and what happened with the AIDS at epidemic and what happened with um stonewall you know all those you know marriage equality you know though that gay history but then you know there's two like you know um paris is burning and um wickstock and all these like pop culture things that happened that have to do you know with our gay history too so you know that's the month it's you know that month you take for that you know you do you go to the LGBT center, you help out, you make sure you are proud and you show your gayness because being, you know, having visibility is an important thing. And then the celebration is just those two days where, you know, you go and you hang out with people that are like you and, and, you, and you're proud, you know, but for me, it's always been the Pride Month is more important than the celebration. The celebration could be anywhere. The celebration could be at your local bar. The celebration could be at the actual Pride events. But, you know, um, Gay Month is that month you take to actually do good for your community, if that makes any sense. Um, you take a moment to maybe even shop queer shops or, or queer 
vendors, you know, so, so for me, it's always been two different things. And I think people need to start seeing it as two different things. So you and me both are in the kink slash fetish um, community. Um, you're a pup. And obviously I ran for CSW. And it is kind of a known fact that um, at least those spaces are majority white and have always been more white than, you know, people of color. And I think it is something recently has happened that we're barely starting to see, you know, people of color coming into these places that maybe before we weren't as welcomed or we didn't have the access to. I think the way leather contests and the way the leather scene has developed is not necessarily based on race, but again, because of systems of oppression, there was kind of this filtering that happened where only certain people could get into the culture. And, you know, inadvertently, one of those things that happened was it was mostly for white people. Um, leather is expensive. And if, you know, you want to get into it, you got to have some coin to be able to afford you some leather gear, right? So in the early days, obviously, some of the only folks who could afford leather would have been middle to upper class white men. Um, that's obviously changed recently, you know, there are more people of color involved in the leather scene. But I think the essential truth of how expensive leather is has not changed and so the people who can't afford to really really get into it continue to be middle class white men um obviously the kink scene is a lot broader than the leather scene it encompasses more um but the two are kind of thought of interchangeably i think sometimes yeah. uh the result though is that there are a lot more people into the leather scene uh today than there were in the past. And there's a lot more diversity in the leather scene, but that didn't come without kind of being intentional about breaking some of those filters that I mentioned. So making it more accessible to people who can't afford it. There's a, I mean, as far as, you know, my own journey and what people have told me about kind of what the journey of leather looks like for them, um, there is a pride in collecting pieces over time, be them things donated to you, um, maybe somebody you really came to care about, some sir or daddy or what, what have you, you know, gives you something, you know, passes something down. Like, I love those traditions. I think those are super awesome and have helped contribute to more people, especially people of color, getting into leather. Uh, I think without those, it would still be most majority middle-class white men like that's just, just how it is. And it, yeah and it has less to do with just like overt forms of racism and more to do with economic mobility and whether or not you can't afford to get into the culture now is that to say there aren't racist leathermen absolutely not there definitely are that's not even a question but to your point earlier about us helping each other miguel you know your better half um I, when I ran for CSW last year, um, I didn't have the, the, the formals and he let me borrow his formals and luckily, he, you know, it fit and I looked good in them and, and it, I don't know, it felt nice to know that, you know, people in the community have your back and want to help you succeed and want to help you win and want to help you, you know, um, have that visibility and, 
you know, um, Miguel is an amazing person. I mean, he, he's someone that like is a big part of the community and, you know, he, he runs a organization called, um, Reach LA and he does so much good for the community. So it just was so beautiful to see how, you know, within the community, we're helping each other. And I think that's what we need to do. And actually, we should do that all as a nation, help each other and have each other's back. You know, so in closing, you know, how do you feel about, you know, our future and, and you know, what kind of thoughts do you have in or hopes do you, you have for the future? Um, well, I think things because of COVID are definitely going to be different. But in terms of you know, how racism in America is dealt with and how systemic forms of oppression are dealt with, how the police are dealt with. Only time will tell, honestly. You know, I definitely think that the protests and riots in these different cities have been historic. Um, I think it'll be difficult to go back and pretend like they didn't happen. Like, no one's saying that'll occur. But whether or not any changes actually happen, you know, that is kind of yet to be seen. We, again, not, history tells us mostly that, you know, situations like this end up getting forgotten about, or at least, you know, we go back to whatever symbols and normal it was before. Um, but there's a, there seems there seems to be something different about this that gives a little bit of hope and you're kind of hoping, oh, maybe things will be different now. But, you know, just as well, you kind of hold that thought in the back of your mind of like, yeah, but maybe not. Maybe in a couple months we'll be back to business as usual. Um, but, you know, and when you off, asked me to come on and do the podcast with you, you know, I real quickly started thinking about uh, all the different ways that, you know, the LGBTQ community has come through to try and change the world. Um, and I mean, we've done it so many, so many times, right? Like after world, excuse me, yeah, after like World War II, you know, you had leather and kink, you had folks trying to we had gay liberation movements. We had, you know, HIV AIDS epidemic movements. We had uh, civil rights movement. We just so many different movements in just like a really short yeah. period of time because people were just like, no more, goddammit, no more. Yeah. And this, this feels like one of those times where people are just like, no more. And so I'm hopeful that things will change. Mobile. I think we both are. Um, once again, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, you are someone that that I that I look up to. I met you because of um, Reach. Um, I actually the first time I I, I saw you was uh, when you and Miguel were talking about um, open relationships. And I for sure want to have you um, come on and so we could, you know, talk about open relationships a little bit and, you know, other discussions. 
we love drag race and i would love to have you on so we could talk about drag race together but thank you so much for coming on today and having this conversation i know it's not easy and at least for me um this helped me and it helped me at least put out a lot of my thoughts and i hope it did the same thing for you so your Instagram is amazing and I know you do have a lot of resources and you do share a lot of amazing things. So if people want to hear more of you, I mean, see more of you and obviously hear more of you because you'll be posting videos of yourself. But if people want to see more of you and um, just want to get more resources, um, what is your Instagram? So my Instagram is at Brighton. So that's actually what B-R-Y-T zero in because I'm unique. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it actually. Fuck Facebook. <laughs> well, thank you once again. Remember to subscribe, like, comment, leave a review, follow me at Chris Diva or follow the podcast at Heart Talks with Chris. And I want to give a special thanks to Jamison for letting me use his song, Fuckable. Um, that's the song you list, you hear in the intro. So if you guys like it, please go on Spotify and um, go check out his Instagram at JV Makes It Pop. And I want to thank Wendy for letting me use her voice in the intro.